Thank you for listening to the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast, available on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, Parlor, and Instagram. And of course, be sure to visit www.mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, on to the show. Activision called me and said, we are working on a game, we'd like you to come see what we're doing. As soon as I played it and I felt just some of the controls, I knew that was, that was the game. The video game obviously turned into something much bigger than I think anyone expected. To think that this may actually affect the evolution of skateboarding, which ultimately it did. It was nuts what that game did, not just for skateboarding as a whole, but for us as individuals. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 284. Releasing August 18 on digital and on demand is Pretending I'm a Superman, the Tony Hawk video game story. It's a documentary that delves into the making of and cultural impact of the popular video game Tony Hawk Pro Skater. Featuring Tony Hawk himself, as well as other legendary figures such as Steve Caballero, Rodney Mullen and Chad Musker, Pretending I'm a Superman is a fascinating inspiration into how sport and technology emerged to create a pop culture phenomenon. Joining me now on the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast is the director of Pretending I'm a Superman, Ludwig Gur. Ludwig, I thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So, Pretending I'm a Superman, look, this is a, a long time coming. I mean, you announced this movie back in 2017 here we are now august of 2020 you must be so very relieved and so very proud that the movie is now coming out for everyone to see yeah man it's cool you know obviously we've been working on it for a long time principal photography probably started around november 2017 so it's awesome that it's finally coming out you know uh, for a while you know it seemed like a never-ending journey but, you know, with the final shooting days happening in 2019 and post-production being underway and a pretty successful premiere at Mammoth Film Festival, you know, we're pretty much set to go now. So I'm really interested to, to hear about how you got involved with this. I mean, the, the producer of the film is Ralph D'Amato, and he worked for Neversoft, which is the, uh, the video game company that pretty much made the pro skater games, the first date in particular. Um, so how did it come to be that you collaborated with him on this project? So, so it actually started off because um, so back in the day, I was I had a YouTube channel known as Icebreaks Forever, and mm-hmm. on that channel, I would make amateur um, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater gameplay videos and also some documentaries, like very amateur documentaries with just me talking. And one of them was History of Tony Hawk Games, uh, which was made in anticipation for Tony Hawk's Pro Skater Five at that time. So, and Ralph saw the video and he actually reached out to me and. You know, since you said, you know, keep keep up the good work. I love this. I work for Microsoft. And by the way, I, you know, and then, you know, at that time, I was still a kid in Sweden. I was still in high school. And I told him I lived in Sweden, obviously, and, you know, and he was actually visiting Sweden in um, that summer. So we met up. We became friends. And the next in summer 2016, I went out to California uh, not only to meet him, to just I graduated high school at that time and stuff like that. And um, and at that time when I met him, he actually introduced me to Tony Hawk, which was super awesome. You know, I'm eternally grateful for that. And we had talked about doing a documentary about the Tony Hawk Skater series for a while because he loves documentaries. And at this time, I was really getting into filmmaking seriously, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And, you know, it was very kind of him to essentially allow me to pitch the product for Tony. And he was on straight away. You know, there, there was no doubt in his mind that this was going to be a cool product to be involved involved in. Especially with Ralph DeMoto's name attached to it, you know, because he's worked with Ralph for so long. Yep. I mean, you're a high school graduate. You're flying over to California. You're meeting Tony Hawk. I'm pretty sure, considering you're uh, making videos on your YouTube channel in regards to Pro Skater, that you're a big skateboarding fan and big gamer fan as well. What, what was that experience like? It must have been such a whirlwind for you. It was awesome, man. And especially, you know, I think the coolest thing about it was that when I went out to California, I had no idea it was going to happen. You know, I was actually, I just, you know, I just went to Hollywood to look, to, you know, go through the Hollywood Walk of Fame and be real disappointed by everything else around there, you know, all the tourist <laughs> traps and homeless people. Yeah. But then, you know, it, I mean, obviously it was, it was a great trip, you know, you can kind of forget it, said that. But obviously meeting Tony Hawk was a big highlight because actually I was told just like two days before, Ralph's like, yeah, I just sent Tony an email and, you know, he might be able to meet you actually on Wednesday. And I was like, no way, you're kidding. He's like, yeah, yeah, he said he's able to meet up, you know, and it's just like, you know, it, it was just spontaneous and it was awesome and it changed my life. You mentioned before that around this time you started getting into filmmaking, uh, short films in particular you did, and you have five short films to your credit. Um, the, your last one, The Outsider, that one got some got some real press behind it. Uh, um, when you have the transition over, though, to documentary filmmaking and feature-length documentary filmmaking especially um what type of you know transition was that like for you as a filmmaker what type of um i mean did you have to kind of reapproach the way you did things or was it just a natural evolution for you as a filmmaker i think i definitely had to reapproach how i did things and i think when i started doing the tony hawk documentary i hadn't really done that much beforehand so it was kind of a big learning process but you know we shot the project over three years so essentially during that time i also gained more experience from other documentaries i was making that were you know had a much less had a much lower budget and they were also usually mini documentaries actually all of them were mini documentaries mm. uh, you know during that time i learned the whole kind of structure of how you should make a documentary how you should approach it and stuff like that and you know eventually it, it you know I ended up getting some real cool do documentary gigs here and there as well. Like I did a documentary with Bad Religion as well, a mini doc actually last year. Um, you know, so kind of while I've been working on pretending I'm Superman, I've also done so many other products where I've been able to kind of take that experience and put it into pretending I'm Superman. So, so it's been really cool. I think the film turned out great. I think uh, the key word that we can use in regards to your career and also to a lot of what's going on in the documentaries evolution um especially in regards to the evolution of skateboarding as a sport and also the evolution of technology and the parallels between the two um what i found really interesting about um uh, pretending i'm a superman is that you at the start of the film you kind of go through like like the history of skateboarding and how that kind of ran, ran parallel with in regards regards to technology because a lot of these kids who were skateboarding at the time they didn't have mainstream exposure um network tv wasn't clamoring over them ebsp espn at that time there wasn't the x games they made their own content there was no youtube they made it on video they put it out there on video how important was it to establish that beforehand before getting into the whole video game aspect of it all you know when we started a documentary, we obviously had a very different approach and thought we were going to go, you know, just game by game. But 
as you know, I did more research and kind of started editing the documentary, I kind of realized that we really need to focus on the history of skateboarding as well and kind of start off where documentaries like Dogtown and the Z Boys left off, mm. you know, with um the with the popularity of skateboarding in the seventies and then how it kind of died off and eventually turned into, you know, the Bones Brigade in the eighties. And I think it's especially important to put emphasis on the whole Bones Brigade era because that's really the first time skateboarding went like really mainstream. Like in the late 80s, it was huge and the skaters would go around the world and they had huge demos. They actually had, you know, a gigantic demo in my hometown of Stockholm, Sweden in the 80s where I think even my dad was there or something. And, you know, it's just... And, you know, they were in movies too, like Gleam in the Cube, like mainstream Hollywood movies, and then suddenly died off. And I think, you know, the 70s was kind of a different time. Obviously, Stace Peralta was in Char- Charles Charles Angels, you know, in the 70s, but that was a bit different. The 80s was really the first time the mainstream tried to to buy skateboarding and kind of like have it in everyone's eye. But then, you know, suddenly it lost popularity. And I think, you know, the X Games at Toronto for Skater was kind of third attempt mm-hmm. at the whole mainstreamification of skateboarding but this time they went all the way and they fully respected the art form and you know it turned out great and they just established it as some as you know a sport really right now when people look at tony hawk you can easily say that he's like the michael jordan of skateboarding not only in regards to athletic ability but the marketing aspect of it as well but back in 1999 what do you think was it that stood him apart from other people in his sport that will make it that made him the face of this video game franchise i think he was really open-minded and also obviously he had a lot of experience with business because you know he started birdhouse skateboards in the early 90s and before that he'd worked as a video editor and stuff like that and he bought his first house when he was like 16 something somewhere, somewhere around there so Obviously, he had a lot of experience, but also I think he says this in the film, actually, is that he always wanted skateboarding to be popular. And he kind of he didn't necessarily mind the hardcore aspect of the art form, mm. but he also kind of thought that whole attitude of us versus them wasn't necessary. Like it didn't benefit skateboarding in any way because, you know, he was getting picked on at school for being a skateboarder. Yeah. And, you know, Tony, Tony's a super awesome guy. He's such so open minded and. And, you know, he had seen skateboarding going up and down. And I think, you know, uh, the reason he was pretty much the perfect match for Neversoft when making Tony for Skater was, well, one, obviously he wanted to make a video game because he loved video games. And he'd tried making a skateboarding video game before. There's actually rumors that he actually pitched a video game to Midway in the early 90s, but they laughed at him. Um, and, and then secondly, you know, he's just such a humble guy. Um, he totally respects skateboarding as an art form, but also doesn't mind seeing it going bigger and eventually becoming, you know, a sport. But so, for example, with the X Games, um, you know, the first time they had X Games in 95, it was obviously very exaggerated. The commentators were super off and he actually provided feedback, you know, for the commentators. And now I think X Games is hugely respected in the skateboarding community. And, you know, that's not all because of him, but he definitely has a lot to do with that, you know. I mean, I think the really cool thing about Tony Hawk is that you mentioned the how he's a very humble person. He's a, To me, he seems to be a very charitable person as well. I mean, a lot of people in his position would not, for example, bring in different skaters like his competition or like even friendly rivals in 
on that project with him because a lot of skaters they took part of that Tony Hawk of those Tony Hawk pro skater games as well and they a lot of them actually had a lot of income come from that you know royalties etc um you don't see that often do you no, you don't really. I think that also something about skateboarding, the fact that, you know, at that time, especially, it was such a small community of people that, you know, they would all kind of benefit from helping each other out. And and I've, I'm not sure whose idea it was to bring in other skaters in the Tony Ashburn Skater Games, but I think he had a lot of involvement. And I, I do think he was the one who kind of called up people and asked if they could be in the video game, for the first game at least. And because I know he handpicked Chad Muska, for example. That was his decision. Hmm. When it comes to, you mentioned before, there's a hardcore aspect in regards to skateboarding. There is very much a culture embedded in it, how you dress, what you listen to, how you hang out with, etc. And I think what was really important about that Tony Hawk Pro Skater that first game is that it was a game that actually had credibility to it, which, if, which if, if you know what I mean, I mean, the characters, designs the moves that they will do. I mean, all of these things, how important was the success of that video game in regards to the credibility that it established? So when skaters themselves played it, they will say, you know what, this is something we can really get behind. You know, I think it was hugely important and pretty much the reason Tony Oxford Skater took off like it did because it, it wasn't just an awesome game that was super fun to play. It was a game that respected skateboarding as an art form so much. You know, people that played the game, you know, they were essentially taught uh, like life lesson about skateboarding. Like, you know, they learned the names of all the tricks, all the skaters, all the skate brands. And, you know, obviously the music they listened to as well. They were just introduced to that culture um, that, you know, the skateboarders were behind. So I think, you know, that was, that was a really important reason why the game was successful among skateboarders and also, brought skateboarding to the mainstream because i think if it had just been a skateboarding game with like fake characters fake brands fake or, or like uh, original music and stuff like that i think it may have been a successful video game but it probably wouldn't have been as big of a factor as to why skateboarding went mainstream in the late 90s as it was in the music, I think, has a big part to do with that as well. I mean, the soundtracks to these games were, like, phenomenal. Um, the, the title of the of your film, actually, is taken from the Goldfinger um, song, uh, Superman. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. That's fully correct, yeah. So when it comes to the soundtrack as well, I mean, how important was it to get the right songs in this video game as um, in, in regards to really getting tapping into the pop culture aspect of skating at that time? You know, skateboarding was kind of, you know, skateboarding's always been weird in that aspect that in the late 90s in skateboarding videos, you know, there were usually two types of people. Obviously, a lot of hardcore skaters will probably correct me in this one. But it was either like Chad Muska, who had kind of a hip-hop approach to skateboarding, mm-hmm. or, you know, someone like Jamie Thomas, who had sort of a classic rock approach. You know, in his video parts, he would usually skate to Rolling Stones or some classic rock songs. He actually skated to The Who, I think, in Zero... Um, serial thrill of it all and or you had Chad Muska who you know obviously was a rapper himself and shorties his his videos they would feature a lot of rap and hip-hop yeah and you know I think they took in the first game obviously they had a limited budget they mainly took songs to like Scott that were ska punk or hardcore Southern California punk and I think that was hugely important because you know, that music is so embedded with skate culture, and it's always been. So, you know, to to see those, or to hear those songs in a video game, or for example, being from Sweden or another country, 
you know, you were suddenly able to listen to Southern California punk rock, you know, that you probably would have been able to hear on the radio or something like that because it was in a video game and those 10 songs were on loop. So you'd get addicted to them eventually. I mean, even if you didn't think they were very good for a start, you'd be very interested in the genre after a while. And, you know, obviously, I mean, I played the trumpet, you know, and it's all because of Tony Oxford Skater, really, when I was introduced to Goldfinger and the Suicide Machines, you know, yeah. through the first video game. It's really interesting how this video game has influenced so many different aspects of people's lives. I mean, not like you just mentioned, Dan, um, how it influenced your music creativity in regards to picking up the trumpet, but it's also influenced the generation of skateboarders to pick up a skateboard and this is done through an artificial kind of like video game environment and it's really interesting because i don't know if, if you know this but like it was a week or two weeks ago um joe rogan really had this you know stance on video games on his podcast and it became very controversial where he essentially said video games are a waste of time it doesn't really result in anything but your documentary really shows the opposite of that this is a video game that really influenced people in all different aspects music uh fashion uh sport i mean it really is kind of a ignorant arrogant kind of stance from him don't you think you know i'm actually i'm a real big fan of joe rogan but i actually didn't know that and you know obviously i don't listen to all of these podcasts but i think they're really great i'm actually quite surprised to hear that because you know, I Joe Rogan is a very open-minded person, it seems, and very humble. And, you know, he also had Tony Hawk in a podcast. Mm. Uh, I am a bit surprised to hear that, and I fully agree with you that, you know, video games can have all kinds of good effects on people. I guess I can see the point when he's maybe referring to online gaming in particular. Obviously, you know, people that love playing, I don't know, Overwatch or whatever, they can become something off it. You know, my brother is a full-time YouTuber. He plays Overwatch and Valerian. Mm. Um, but, you know, yeah, I mean, video games can influence you in every way. And, and I think kids that play video games, too, you know, that are now from a, an English-speaking country will actually learn English much faster. If we talk about Tony Hawk's Press Skater, yes, I mean, 100%. That, that game just introduced people to a brand-new world that, like, a lot of people didn't know about back then. And... You know, it's it's. I mean, that game's only done good for skateboarding. I mean, I, I don't think even a hardcore skater that you know stays fully true to skateboarding as it was in the '80s or '70s can say anything bad about Tony Hawk's Pro Skater and the influence it's had on skateboarding. What's next for you in your filmmaking career? You've worked so long on this documentary. I mean, um, are you going to stick to documentary filmmaking? Are you going to go back to kind of like a narrative filmmaking? Do you have any plans in regards to that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I just, uh, I mean, I do both simultaneously. You know, obviously, I want to get more into horror and stuff like that, horror and sci-fi. My latest short film, The Outsider, which is now available on YouTube through Alter, mm-hmm. uh, it's obviously a horror film adapted by HP Love, adapted from an HP Lovecraft story. So that's very different from this. Um, you know, we have a couple documentaries that we're kind of in the development stage of right now. Nothing that I can talk about yet, but they're awesome projects. And, you know, I also kind of I'm also working on some more narrative productions. You know, I'm just you know, I'm just trying to work a lot and kind of see what happens from these projects and uh, kind of expand in that way. And maybe, you know, maybe in 10 years, I'll be able to make my ultimate, ultimate passion project if I have one by that time. But for now, you know, I just want to keep on working, keep on making documentaries, you know. Yeah. 
Well, look, I really loved pretending I'm a Superman. And for everyone out there, August 18 on digital and video on demand, you can watch it. It's it's really fantastic work here, um, Ludovic. And congratulations to you. I know it's been a long time coming. Uh, you worked on it for so long. It's great that it's finally out there. And once again, look, it's a great film. And congrats. And thank you very much for talking to me about the movie. Thank you too, Matt. I enjoy your podcast. And yeah, thanks for all your kind words. And yeah, like Matt said, Check it out on August 18th. It'll be available on all streaming platforms in the U.S. and Australia, too. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you, Ludwig. Thank you, too. Have a good day. Bye. Bye.